Hello and welcome back to the Prosecco Sessions, a weekly podcast discussing a host of topics over a glass of fizz or two. Hello and welcome back to the Prosecco Sessions. Today I'm joined by Hayley Bell, a qualified nutritionist who is here to delve into the topic of food, glorious food. What we eat has a real impact on how we feel both physically and mentally, so sit back, grab a glass and listen as Hayley gives us some amazing tips and tricks on how to be healthy and also enjoy our food. Hayley, welcome to the Prosecco Sessions. I'm really excited to have you on and I'll ask firstly, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me on the Prosecco Sessions podcast. Firstly, just want to say what a fabulous name for a podcast. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm doing okay, keeping well, keeping well during lockdown. Good. Yeah. So firstly, obviously, the podcast is being recorded remotely during covid we don't know what week it is the pair of us can't decide which week it is so um (laughs) we're in the middle of lockdown in the uk um due to the outbreak of covid19 and Hayley, i've seen a few posts on social media about vitamins and other things that can help protect you during coronavirus do you know anything about that at all oh what a great topic to kick off on i'm just gonna say that it really goes without saying that nutritionists all over the country are rolling their eyes at these posts that are all over social media. Um, I'm going to be really clear. There is no food, there is no diet, there is no supplement which can prevent coronavirus or stop the COVID-19 symptoms. The British Dietetic Association has advised that eating a well-balanced diet can help ensure normal functioning of our immune system and no supplement will boost our immune system past the normal levels. So basically, sorry, just to interrupt you. So basically, if we just eat a healthy diet, that is going to help. Yeah, absolutely. That's just going to keep our immune systems healthy as they normally would be. They're ready to fight off infection at any time. Good. Happy days. Yeah. Another thing that I seen a few weeks ago was loads and loads of posts about vitamin C and taking vitamin C supplements. Okay. And this, if you're eating a balanced diet... Having five a day of your fruit and veg, vitamin C is not, a vitamin C supplement is not necessary whatsoever. And in relation to the coronavirus, it has no special function or magical property that will prevent you from catching the coronavirus. Okay. However, on the topic of supplements, there is one supplement that's of particular interest, which would be vitamin D. So vitamin D is often referred to as the sunshine vitamin. Um, And this is because our main source of it comes from the sunlight. And from October to March in the UK, we're recommended to take a 10 microgram supplement. And this is because the sunlight isn't strong enough to make vitamin D in our skin. So normally we wouldn't be advised to take a supplement at this point because it's April. However, as we're now spending more time indoors, it's been suggested that we should consider taking a supplement during the lockdown period. That's really interesting. I've never considered that i mean i happen to take it anyway um, yeah so do i just in like multivitamin form so i guess i'm doing it without realizing but um yeah, yeah that's a good one course. to note <laughs> yeah i would say with with multivitamins and if anyone's listening at home that takes a multivitamin i would recommend checking the back of the label and checking to make sure for the vitamin d it has 10 micrograms so it is worth just checking but i mean also, if you are getting outside, especially as it comes into the summer and people are out in their gardens, it's not as big of a concern. But definitely if you're self-isolating or someone that's been told that you're staying indoors for 12 weeks, then yeah, it, it is advised that you take a vitamin D supplement of 10 micrograms. I will bear that in mind and hopefully everybody listening will start taking some vitamin D just <laughs> to be on the safe side. <laughs> yeah, of course. With so much information out there, who would you say that we can really trust them? A world where everyone can have a platform 
for example, anyone can set up a Instagram profile or a social media profile. There's also an abundance of celebrities posting about intravenous fitment drips, skinny pills. There's influencers selling their eat like me, look like me diet and workout plans. It's becoming really tricky for the public to identify true nutrition and health professionals. And when it comes to nutrition, there's not a lot of people you can really trust for credible information. Oh God. <laughs> yeah, and part of the problem with this is that the title of nutritionist isn't protected like a doctor's title would be protected or a dentist's title would be protected. So I'm gonna say something quite unorthodox. You could go on to Groupon, you could purchase a nutrition course for about $29.99, do it, call yourself a nutritionist. There is nothing stopping anybody from doing that, which is incredibly infuriating when I spent four years at university getting a degree in human nutrition. I can imagine. However, so, literally I could go on to Groupon now then, buy one, buy a nutrition course and say, right, I'm a nutritionist then. Absolutely, absolutely. So there is there is some wiggle room on this. So you can sign up to a professional body okay. um, and they have a UK voluntary register of nutritionists. And these nutritionists have to meet certain criteria. You have to have done a minimum of three year degree. Um, I'm an associate registered nutritionist. I appear on the register that title is protected only people on the register can use that title but the problem with it is that it's not well known okay. or well well recognized by the public yet um so yeah and the other nutrition professional that you can trust for information is a dietitian their okay. title is protected so nobody else can call themselves a dietitian unless you're a dietitian um, they are mostly found in the clinical hospital setting, but a lot of them also do one-to-one uh, -one consultations and stuff as well, the same as nutritionists. Um, so if you, are, if you are following dietitians and nutritionists, for example, on Instagram, it is quite good to look to see whether they have letters. Hmm. Um, so RD would be a registered dietitian. Um, a nutter. And I, yes, that is how you say it. Um, is, <laughs> I'm is, a nutter. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. The amount of times I've said that. So that's what I am, an associate registered nutritionist. Or R nutter, which is a registered nutritionist. Now, basically the difference between the two is that if you've completed an, an eligible degree in nutrition, you will automatically qualify for the register and be a, a nutter or you can apply with a portfolio demonstrating that you have all the skills, all the knowledge, all the applications to be a nutritionist on the register. To become a registered nutritionist, you have to put together a three-year portfolio from when you've graduated to three years in work. So this portfolio basically demonstrates that I've been committed to keeping myself up to date with nutrition. So that's learning new things, going on courses, going to conferences, listening to webinars, reading research papers, everything. Yeah. So last night, actually, I listened to a webinar on plant-based diets that was actually hosted by Oatly, the oat milk brand. Oh, okay. So I am constantly learning. Any nutritionist that's on this register has to do a minimum of 30 hours extra learning a year. That so. is very similar to um, anyone that's registered as a dental professional because I used to be a dental professional and we had to um, have evidence for so many hours where we would, you know, constantly be doing courses and, and learning to keep up your uh, registration. So it's good yes. that they get you to do that because it shows you're, you're always going to be up to date sort of thing. Yes, absolutely. And actually with applying for jobs, more and more employers are starting to recognise these That's little really random letters. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely it's definitely really good. I I am a member of the Association for Nutrition that run the register and they have been campaigning so hard to get a title protected for us. 
Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, well, it has got to Parliament stage, but it hasn't went any further than that. But that would really mean that anybody that calls themselves a, oh, what are some of the ones I've seen on Instagram? Like health coach, nutrition coach, nutritionalist, all these sort of things, they're, they don't, they don't confirm that someone has a solid backing behind them. They could have just done a group on course. So they could be giving you false information then? Yeah, absolutely. And that's basically the risk. That is basically the risk is that the public get misinformation or clients get misinformation. Yeah. You know, I've spoke to loads of people over the years, mostly like people reaching out to me on Instagram saying they've been put on various diets by personal trainers or health coaches and they're like oh you know I was told I had to cut out gluten um and and I'm like but why I, no no yeah. or just cutting out complete food groups they're like okay no more sugar at all it's like well what's the what's the rationale for that yeah so I I yeah I feel like I get pretty exasperated sometimes with some of the some of the stuff that I hear but yeah it just depends on what sort of studying you've done and whether whether you think because something's worked for you it'll work for somebody else yeah so that's that's mostly my issue with I'll say influencers selling health and fitness programs and like very much like oh you know if you work hard and eat this or that or drink my shake that I'm being paid to promote then yeah. you'll look like then you'll look like me and have my incredible body and I think it paints a really unrealistic and somewhat unattainable, you know, image for the rest of us. Yeah. Like, we can't, not all of us are naturally a size eight. No way. You know, it just, it's just not. No, some people naturally aren't skinny, you know, and that's totally fine as well. Absolutely. But if someone is, that you aspire to is telling you, oh, if you do this, you're going to look like me. You, you know some people will believe that and think oh I can look like that but maybe they're just not designed to be that shape or that size and they're going to make themselves ill trying to obtain it I guess yeah absolutely and to be honest it's one of the reasons why I personally don't offer one-to-one like weight loss sessions or like um diet plans yeah because I've had so many people either message me or speak to me in person and I'm like, oh, you know, you could just do me up a diet plan and I would be fine. And I'm like, well, I don't know what you like to eat. I don't yeah. know when you eat. I don't know what shifts you work. I don't know if you can cook. I don't know what access to equipment you have. I can't just do you a random plan that probably would have overnight oats every day for breakfast, <laughs> then followed by a banana, and then lunch would be some form of chicken and rice and dinner would be chicken and rice again, and <laughs> supper would be a protein shake. Like, I've just told you what it would be. Like, that, like, I don't, I personally don't like the idea of telling somebody what to eat. What I do like doing is being able to empower someone to make those decisions, give them the information, the education. Um, but I, I currently don't take any one-to-one clients. That's fair enough. Um, currently way too busy, to be honest. <laughs> So what is a healthy, balanced diet? I've got some food myths here. So according to The Independent, a poll of 2,000 adults suggested that many British people still believe a number of nutrition myths. Uh, One of them is, we've all heard the classics such as carrots help you to see in the dark, but what myths can you debunk for us? So I I guess some people think that saying, eat your carrots, it'll help you see in the dark, is a parenting technique to get your child to eat carrots. Um, and th- there is actually some science to support this one. Okay, so, did not know this. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I'm not going to say super strong evidence, but I'll say evidence. Um, so the link between carrots and their interaction with night vision and their relationship actually originates from World War Two, which... I didn't actually know myself until I read recently. So that was quite interesting. Hmm. So carrots contain 
uh, beta-carotene. And basically the body converts this beta-carotene to vitamin A. And it's this vitamin that's needed to create a reddish purple pigment in the eye cells. And this is what actually helps you to see at night. Okay. So there's nothing overly special about carrots. I'm sorry, but <laughs> but they do contain beta carotene, which converts to vitamin A, which helps you see in the dark roundabout. So it yeah, it's definitely more vitamin A helps you see at night, but that doesn't sound very sexy. So you have to stick a vegetable in front of it. So carrots <laughs> carrots are very high in beta carotene. Um, but and then I'm sure there's orange the... color. I'm sure there's other vegetables or food groups that have vitamin A, so they would technically help you see in the dark as well. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, carrots are really quite high. So oh, okay. It, it, yeah. They won't, and I must say that eating carrots, if you eat a lot of them, they're not going to give you any sort of super night vision. Your <laughs> night vision's only going to get so good with optimal vitamin A levels. You can't... Uh, overdose in carrots and expect to have night vision <laughs> noted <laughs> yeah <laughs> just in case anyone was thinking about trying it at home <laughs> so fuel is key for providing energy to our bodies as well um what are some of the simple and easy ways that we can ensure we're doing this in our everyday lives of course it's super important to adequately fuel our bodies so we can function on a daily basis and for want of a better word get shit done yeah i i personally look at food beyond just being a source of fuel so around the world food is used to celebrate commiserate bring people together and of course we don't maybe have lavish feasts every day but i do think it's important that we find enjoyment in food we have to eat to survive there's no getting around that as food as our fuel like you said but we do need to remember that food is for enjoyment too oh so, I, I totally agree so simple and easy ways to ensure that you get enough energy through the day is to have three balanced meals and a couple of snacks in between um so what i mean by balance roughly is that your plate could be made up of a third vegetables a third starchy carbohydrates things like pasta bread rice and a third protein and this can be dairy or animal protein or plant-based versions of protein such as beans and lentils and pulses and as well with carbs can we just discuss the importance of carbs in a balanced diet because there seems to be this myth about how we should avoid them I really hope we're over that myth by now. <laughs> I feel like, at least in the last year, bread has kind of made a bit of a combat. But carbs in general, like the humble slice of bread with fibre and vitamins has just never had such a bad rap either. You know, I feel I do unfortunately feel that people are scared of carbs. Um, and I'll touch on maybe why that is later. But firstly... Our brain's primary and preferred source of energy comes from glucose. And okay. this is what carbohydrates break down to in our bodies. So we do need carbs to keep our energy levels up and to keep ourselves fueled. Um, but I, I do think that people believe that bread or carbs in general is quite fattening. Yeah. Like they have some magical property which can make us gain weight. And this is just simply not true. And from an energy balance point of view, eating more of anything, whether that be protein, fat, or carbohydrates, eating more of that than what we would burn regularly can lead to weight gain. There is no special property about carbohydrates that make you gain weight. And I think where the myth arises from is that if we don't burn off all the carbs we eat, they turn to fat. But really, again, this is the case when we eat excess of anything from any source. If the body can't use it, it will convert it to fat at some point down the line. So carbs are no more fattening than anything else, really, in that sense. So then what about like gluten? Should we be avoiding that then? Oh, 
This is this is <laughs> one of my favorite myths to bust. Gluten is just a protein. And for example, in bread, it gives it its elasticity. The people that should be avoiding gluten are people with celiac disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they basically have an intolerance to gluten. And then also people sometimes have diagnosed wheat allergies and sensitivities that are diagnosed by their GP. And they should also avoid gluten. Um, but you know, for the rest of us, we really don't need to avoid it. It's absolutely fine. That's good to know. I'm going to carry on eating my bread because I actually good. love bread so much. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> but does avoiding gluten not help with weight loss at all? So the short answer to that is no. Okay. Um, by by avoiding gluten, you often end up cutting out processed foods, things like sauces and ready meals and like uh, high density energy snacks often all contain gluten. So you often end up cutting out those foods if you're avoiding gluten, which in turn gives you, in most cases, a lower energy intake or you're basically eating less calories each Mm. day. So because of this lower calorie intake, you may lose weight, but it has nothing to do with cutting out gluten. Nothing. Okay. Because you're potentially eating less. So speaking of portion sizes as well, should we be weighing out everything that we eat? Is that a healthy thing to do or can people sort of get obsessed with weighing everything? It's really a difficult balancing act in that really. Um, For me, there's sort of two sides to this. So weighing out food can be really useful to ensure that we are getting enough to eat. For example, I recently weighed out 80 grams of blueberries to see what this looked like. Now, 80 grams uh, portion size is one of your five a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't surprised that it looked more than what I had been putting in my Tupperware to take to work. Um, but now that I have weighed it once, I've put it in my Tupperware to take to work, I know roughly how much room it takes up in my little compartment. Mm-hmm. So I won't weigh them again. I don't feel like you should weigh absolutely everything. I think knowing rough portion size guides is it can can be helpful. Um, so, but I did I did have some phases while I was studying uh, nutrition at university where I would diet and weigh everything yeah. to, to the T, to the absolute T, and for me it became somewhat obsessive and created a very unequal hierarchy with food. And you start to see, just see food as numbers, mm. numbers of calories, grams of fat, and you you look beyond actually your hunger levels and eating potentially less than what you would have. Mm. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really realize all that at the time. Um, I do appreciate that was an overshare on my behalf. But in regards to portion size, I would say if it helps you to portion up food for meal prep, so this is generally when I do weigh out food so that I don't cook mountains of pasta while yeah. I'm making out lunches for the week. Um, you know, or it is good to, if you're worried about not getting enough, especially if you're maybe worried about not getting enough fruit and veg, you could weigh it to see what 80 grams roughly looks like in yeah. your favourite veg so that you know. It generally tends to be, in my case, I always need like a little bit more and then I'm at the 80 grams. Yeah. Um, however, I will say that if weighing everything... Or weighing some things if it makes you start to obsess over the amount of food that you're eating or it causes anxieties around food then i'd really say give the weighing a pass yeah um, like i said before there are rough portion size guides such as you know a thumb a thumb's worth of cheese or protein such as a chicken breast about roughly the size of your hand so these can be quite handy if you're planning and cooking and serving but ultimately it really just depends how hungry you are and mm. that should really dictate your portion size um and i really don't think it's healthy to be a slave to the skill in any sense and i suppose um, going back to what you said earlier about how we should enjoy food it's a social thing it's going to take that pleasure out of it if we're obsessing over uh, weighing everything out and being anxious about food yeah ab- absolutely and this is something that i'm really passionate about and I want people to be able to eat without fear yeah. and just enjoy enjoy food and not obsess over it. But I, I really appreciate it. it's so much easier 
said than done depending on what your relationship is like with food um it's also really important to note that obviously you do get portion size i'll say recommendations mm-hmm. on food in the supermarket so for example if you buy a pizza typically it'll say half a pizza is a serving and some people are like no a whole pizza is a serving <laughs> <Guilty. You know? laughs> so, well yeah of course i have been known to eat many a full pizza <laughs> but you know it's that that box that message on the box does not know what else you've eaten that day it doesn't know how much exercise you're going to do it doesn't know if you've had a shit day and you just want to eat a pizza that's so you true know, i it, never thought of it that. doesn't know <laughs> <laughs> it is just a guideline just a guideline so and i do get quite frustrated when on some packets of sweets I don't really want to name any brands, but on yeah. some tube, on some tube shit sweet, <laughs> they'll sometimes give the number of calories and it'll be less than a hundred. And you'll look at it, you'll be like, oh, that's fab. Like that's a less than a hundred calorie snack. Perfect. But if you read the very small print, it'll say for half the tube. Oh. And you're thinking, who eats half the tube? Come on. <laughs> Come on. But I mean, yeah. And like, I think on bags of like jelly sweets, it'll say on the back, four sweets as a serving some will say six sweets as a serving so it does make it really difficult for consumers if they're reading the calories on the front of the packet trying to pick the best option you know that could be the calories for six sweets on one packet and four sweets on another yeah there's not an awful lot of harmonization on that so yeah it does make portion size tricky and the you know it doesn't know what else you're going to eat so, like, if you were just going to have a really simple meal of pasta and pesto and you weren't going to add tomato or mozzarella or anything to it, hmm. you probably would need to have a little bit more pasta, a little bit more pesto to give you enough energy from that meal. So, yeah, that pasta packet doesn't know what else you're having with it. So I think it's important that we don't obsess over these and remember that they are just a guideline. Yeah. Um, and they're, you know, they're not a hard, fast rule. That's fair enough. I agree with that, actually. (laughs) So another question is to do with the vegan diet. Is this a good diet? Um, If you do not plan your diet properly, you could miss out on essential nutrients such as calcium, iron and vitamin B12. So there's more people now than ever adopting a vegan diet. And I do think it's really important to talk about how you ensure that you're getting adequate nutrition if you are vegan especially if you've recently went vegan Mm -hmm. so for the listeners at home a vegan diet involves eliminating all meat fish and animal related products for example dairy from your diet other eliminations include honey as well um a well-planned vegan diet can provide ample nutrition however there are a few considerations as you mentioned kat so Mm -hmm. The main nutrient of concern for vegans is vitamin B12. And this is because it's only found in animal products. Oh. Yeah, naturally. It's only found naturally in animal products. Okay. So, however, B12, vitamin B12 has been fortified or added extra into some bread, cereal and milk products in the UK this to know if it has been added to your food you would need to check the label and this is especially important if you're drinking plant-based milk that you try and find one that has been fortified with vitamin b12 otherwise if you are vegan you're not really getting it from anywhere else right and just on the note of plant-based milks organic plant-based milks will not have any vitamins added because it's organic they won't add anything else to it it is as it is. Okay. Which is, yeah. Yeah. And I don't think many people realise that either. Um, so the reason why vitamin B12 is really important is that it helps us release our energy from the food that we consume. It's also involved in making red blood cells and just keeping our nervous system ticking over. So it's it's definitely, it's definitely really important that if you're vegan, you need to really think about where it's going to come from. Mm. And in some cases... You know, if you're worried about it, obviously go and speak to your GP. Um, it has been known that vegans could be deficient in B12. So another important consideration is calcium. Mm-hmm. And like I said, with vitamin B12, 
try and find a plant-based milk which also has calcium added in again it won't be in plant-based milks which is unfortunate that are sorry that are organic um however including green leafy vegetables in your diet will help towards your calcium intake as well as trying to find a fortified plant-based milk um, and as many of us will know calcium is essential for both the health of our bones and teeth but calcium also plays a role in keeping our heart beating regularly and ensuring that our blood clots form normally i did not know this and now i want to drink milk <laughs> milk and cookies yeah well i think everyone just associates you think calcium you think bones or teeth or bones and teeth yeah yeah actually it has lots of other roles in the body as well um so iron is another important one for vegans and probably the one that they're most annoyed about people asking them about as well oh, i've got God. no evidence <laughs> to back that up but in my experience of speaking to people that are vegan i used to ask them well how do you get your iron and they weren't it never really went down very well so <laughs> the type of iron that's found in animal products is much more easily absorbed by our bodies and it's called heme iron okay um and then the, the type of iron that's found in nuts pulses beans green leafy vegetables and cereals that have been fortified this type of iron is called non-heme iron so the non-heme version of iron needs the body to have vitamin c to make sure that it's absorbed okay. so he basically helps the absorption of this non-heme iron when it doesn't come from meat sources. So if you are vegan and obviously eating things like green leafy veg and pulses and beans, etc., you also need to ensure that you're having plenty of fruit and veg alongside that to make sure you have enough vitamin C. And like mentioned before at the beginning about vitamin C and the coronavirus, if you are following a well-balanced diet, there is no need to take a vitamin C supplement. Um, citrus fruits, obviously things like oranges, are very high in vitamin mm -hmm. C. Um, and iron's really important in our bodies as it helps to make red blood cells. And they're responsible for transporting oxygen around the body. So super important. Uh, women of childbearing age that are also vegan need considerably more iron than other population groups. So if it is something that you're concerned about, I do recommend going to see your GP. Could you take iron supplements? Like, is that vegan friendly? I, I'm not sure. So you will be able to get, you will be able to find vegan um, versions of iron supplements on the market. The interesting thing about the iron supplements is that they're also non-heme iron. Oh, like, okay. Yes, like the iron that you get from nuts and pulses and beans. Yeah. So that supplements tend to be very high to because you're not going to absorb all of it never yeah. ever ever your body will when the tablets that i've seen before or the supplements sorry are generally the amount that a woman would need in a day so they're really really high but your mm. body doesn't absorb it and for anyone at home that has taken iron supplements and has taken strong iron supplements you will have noticed color changes in your stove hmm. quite dramatically so iron the heavy the heavy iron supplements are really can be quite tough to take they do have some side effects um and yeah like i said they're non-heme iron so they aren't as well absorbed in the body but like i said they come in such high amounts that you should you will absorb something from it of yeah course. um there is one other supplement. The other supplements on the market are liquid, um, liquid iron supplements, which are supposedly absorbed better. Okay. Um, and there's also a company that makes supplements that you spray either on your tongue or the side of your cheek. So basically the idea of this is that it goes straight into your bloodstream. Hmm. So it's meant to be much more effective. Um, and I actually suffer with iron deficiency myself. Um, I don't eat a lot of red meat. I don't really like green leafy veg. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so all of a sudden it's, and I've had, I've suffered from this since I was a teen, really. 
Um, so I've tried lots of different iron supplements and I have finally settled on the spray. Oh, um, interesting. Purely because the tablet's just not good. Fair not good. enough. <laughs> but yeah, each each to their each to their own, really. Um, and then another micronutrient that's often overlooked is iodine. So iodine isn't actually in many food items. It is found in milk and dairy. And of course, this is going to be an issue if you're following a vegan diet. Yep. Again, not to sound like a parrot on repeat, but a fortified plant-based milk will include iodine. But you must check the label. It's not fortified into all plant-based milk. Um, the milks that it is usually found in is fortified soya or rice milk. Um, and iodine is important for the production of two thyroid hormones. And they're responsible for our growth, our development, our metabolism, as well as our brain and neurological development. So they are incredibly important. Mm. Um, so yeah, if you are following a vegan diet, try and find a plant-based milk that has iodine fortified in. Um, it's difficult to know how much iodine is present in fruit and vegetables because it depends on the soil content and how they were growing. Seaweed also contains iodine, but the amount varies quite right. dramatically so it's not a very reliable source so how can vegans and vegetarians ensure that they're getting the best balanced diet so the balanced diet for vegans and vegetarians is exactly the same for meat use which i mentioned earlier which is your plate to be made up of a third vegetables a third starchy carbohydrates and a third protein Plant-based protein options can include things like beans, pulses, meat-free alternatives, soya-based products and lentils. Uh, and one way of thinking about trying to include one starchy carbohydrate at each meal, such as bread, rice, pasta, cereal, and choosing whole wheat versions with more fibre, and these can keep you fuller for longer. Mm. So these are quite good, especially because meat obviously has quite a high protein content and protein is quite satiating so it does satisfy us and yeah us feel full so it is important i think that if you are following um a vegan or a vegetarian diet that you do try and include whole wheat versions of the carbohydrates to keep you fuller for longer i appreciate they're not everybody's cup of tea i personally absolutely hate brown rice same <laughs> but but I love wholemeal bread, wholemeal mm. bagels, other stuff like that. I don't mind whole wheat pasta. It depends. I sort of base it on what meal I'm making. Yeah. But where you can, if you could eat those whole wheat versions, they would keep you fuller for longer because they're higher in fibre. It's the same with in regards to fruit and veg. So at least five portions a day is recommended. Each portion is about 80 grams. Um, a fresh fruit and veg so but this is with the exception of dried fruit which is a 30 gram portion or a portion of juice or a smoothie is 150 mils i'm going to tell you now 150 mils is tiny is it is it quite is but then like with um juice or a smoothie are they quite highly concentrated in sugar is that why it's such a small amount i literally have yeah. no idea i'm just asking you yeah so <laughs> Yeah, no, of course. So if if a product's been juiced down and hasn't had anything else added to it, and it's just been juiced, even though the sugar in it is naturally occurring, because it's been released from its cells, so to speak, mm. it becomes what's known as a free sugar, which a free sugar is also the sugar that's added to any other product. So, like, in a cereal, there'll be so much sugar added in to make it sweeter. Obviously, there's no sugar added into the orange juice, but the breaking down of the cells, because when you drink the juice, you get the sugar so much quicker and it spikes your blood glucose. Hmm. That's why they've had to limit the portion size of it, even though the sugar's naturally occurring, because it's not bound within the cells and takes a long time to digest. They have de the portion size recommendation used to be 250 mil and they decreased it a few years ago the 150 mil oh, right. because of it because of sugar yeah so really you're better to have fruit in its natural form then 
yeah, you're much better to have whole fruit, whole veg, you know, things like keeping the skin on. That's another problem with juicing and making smoothies is that, you know, you if you put an apple in, you're probably going to peel it. Or yeah. even if you put it in with the skin on, that skin's not going to have the same effect as if you ate it compared to it juice. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, there, but at the end of the day, there's there's nothing wrong with having a juice or a smoothie, but relying on drinking all your all of your five a day is not a very good idea and i know there's loads of juice like detox diets Mm. and stuff like that and you know they promote you drinking so much juice and like it is high in sugar not because sugar's been added to it but it is just naturally high in sugar and like you could be drinking a lot of sugar you'd be having a lot of sugar that you wouldn't maybe think about if you're doing one of these juice detox diets that makes me think of people's teeth and that makes me feel uncomfortable yeah <laughs> from no, working absolutely. in dentistry i'm like oh no they're poor teeth <laughs> i know I, oh absolutely and just very quickly on the topic of detox i should also add that deep drinking detox juices is just absolute rubbish they do not detox your body. Your liver and your kidneys detox your body on a 24-7 basis. So when um, you're detoxing on these silly diets, you're not actually doing anything? No. <laughs> no. I think, to be honest, one of the one of the best things I like that I've seen someone share on social media was the only thing that they detox is your wallet. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's and really I, powerful when you say it and like I that. Love, yeah, and I love that. And I thought, yeah, that's right. You know, if you drink the juice and you don't eat much else or you eat one meal, of course you're going to lose weight. You're having less energy. Yeah. That's a normal response, as I mentioned earlier. You know, it, there's nothing special about a juice diet. And to be honest, I think you spend a lot of time in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. So, and obviously that obviously will show potential weight loss depending on what your situation is. Yeah. So, but not but again nothing to do with the juice it's kind of like nothing to do with gluten nothing to do with any of the other stuff that you're cutting out it's purely because just because you've cut out the calories and you could cut them out from any source obviously it's easier to cut them out you know it's very easy to have a salad and not have the bread yeah but you could be cutting out you know 100 to 200 calories if you had one to two slices at a meal so it all adds up yeah. and you will and you will you know if you're cutting things out it's a very natural response that you lose weight but it's got nothing to do with the fact that you've spent 25 pound on a seven day juice kit when it comes to like treating ourselves with food as a nation do you think like perhaps we treat ourselves a little bit too often oh it's it's tricky as i mentioned at the beginning i certainly see fear food beyond being fuel yeah and when you say treat foods i'm going to make the assumption that you mean things like sweets and crisps and chocolate yep (laughs) and yeah and looking at these foods as treats can sometimes put them up on a pedestal and creates a bit of a hierarchy and they become almost like the forbidden fruit mm. and the things that you crave because you've told yourself that you can't have them so this this can be the foundation for developing an unhealthy relationship with food um and if we restrict certain foods it sometimes makes you want them more and you know what it's like the moment someone tells you you can't do something or you you can't have something you want it the same with the lockdown situation <laughs> yeah. the, minute, the minute you're told that you might not be able to go out for a run anymore everybody's like running yeah you know? so true <laughs> you might not be able to do this everyone's like i'm doing it yeah. so it, it's kind of like the same and you like i've never wanted to do some things more because of lockdown so it's the same if you go on a diet and have that sort of mentality that you know oh that's you know you can't have that and you tell yourself that you can't have it because you're going to do a diet for so many weeks and what do you constantly think about I know if it's me I constantly think about having that thing that I've told myself that I can't have (laughs) now that isn't the case for everybody you know everyone's individual and you know that might not be the case for some people 
So, should we... Well, when, really, should we treat ourselves with food? I per- I personally don't recommend treating yourself with food. Um, using food as a reward in this sort of setting can create, again, an all-healthy relationship with food. Hmm. Um, and it, it depends... It depends what the circumstances and context really matters and it really depends on the individual and you know I I might sometimes look at it in a slightly different way and think you know I've eaten all my meals in the house this week I've cooked everything I'm going to treat myself to a takeaway yeah from but that might be from like a financial for me it's maybe like from a financial perspective or a oh I just want to have a night off yeah I I wouldn't look at it as a oh, I've dieted really weak or I made it to the gym every day this week or I'm going to treat myself with a pizza or I'm going to do this. And I I used to have that mentality and I personally didn't find it very healthy. Hmm. Um, but again, it, it's very it's a very individualised thing, but I I personally wouldn't, wouldn't recommend it. And I know that it, using food as a reward is often a tactic that's used with children. Yeah. Um, you know, to get them to finish their plate or eat their vegetables and bribed with biscuits and I know at home whenever I was growing up you know we were always encouraged to clean our plate to eat everything yeah same and yeah and I think that's true for a lot of people and actually it's not it's not the case and like you don't have to clear your plate if you're full your body's telling you're full you can leave it like I've now been known to leave like the minutest amount of food on my plate just because I'm like no I'm I'm full I've recognized that I'm full I'm not going to eat past that point. That's but good. that's very yeah, but it's it's very hard. It's very hard and it does require you to be in tune with your body and not to sound too spiritual, but things like mindful eating. So like thinking about every bite, really like savoring and enjoying food and being like, do I want any more of this? Am I still hungry? You know, I can maybe eat it later. I can give it to a friend. Yeah. You know, so but it's it's really difficult if you've been brought up your whole life with the you know you must clean your plate. It's polite. It's this. It's that. Um. So it it can be quite hard. And you know, food food is used reward is in loads of settings, like in school with sweets and teachers. You know, it's it's used quite often. So I feel like it's quite a normal thing to use food as a reward. But I actually studied this a little bit at university and did my dissertation um, on childhood obesity. And I looked at some research where food was being used as a reward as a child. And some of that research showed that actually in later life, those children were more likely to be overweight and overeat. Oh, wow. No, not on a huge scale. I read this, and obviously I did my dissertation in 2012, so it was a while ago. so yeah, I remember reading some stuff on that and to be honest, it hasn't really changed that much and it's not a recommended parenting tactic. But I do apologise for going off on uh, a tangent there. No, not at all. <laughs> but <laughs> following on from sort of treat foods, would you say that cheat days are a good or a bad thing? I think by probably answer that one for me. Mm-hmm. Um surprisingly i personally wouldn't recommend a cheat day um this is a this is a tactic that is often used by personal trainers and health coaches that are making diet plans for clients and it's a good sort of tactic to help them to stick to their diet so you know stick to your diet midweek with the sort of reward that you can have a cheat day where you can eat anything you want for one day Mm. and not to repeat myself but needless to say, this doesn't promote a good relationship with food. Um, and this is firstly because the word cheat itself carries a very negative con- connotation. So cheating in exams, cheating in relationships, cheating in games. And as a knock-on effect, the feeling of guilt can follow. And I think we should never feel guilty for what we've eaten. Um, and I think unless you've stolen it, you shouldn't <laughs> feel guilty at all. <laughs> I like that. (laughs) Yeah. And just to dig a little bit deeper, you know, I think you kind of really need to ask yourself, well, you know, why are you having the cheat day? Is it because you've deprived yourself throughout the week? 
um is it a reward for sticking to the your diet plan during the week Hmm. you know like i've said before you know depriving yourself isn't great restricting your food intake can trigger bingeing and make you may actually end up eating past your natural levels of fullness and this can become a quite a vicious cycle of dieting to lose weight losing weight not being able to maintain the diet because it was too strict binge eating because you've been restricted and then realizing that you've put on weight again so going back to dieting and Mm. some people get really stuck in this sort of in this sort of cycle of you know weight loss weight gain weight loss weight gain even if it is just like a bit and obviously naturally we do fluctuate but you don't really want to be fluctuating massively, say, by like a stone. Yeah. A stone on one month and then a stone on the next month or, you know, maybe that's a bit extreme. But you don't really want to be fluctuating that much. Really, you just want to find a middle a middle ground if, you know, if you can. Um, however, like with, with all of that in mind, having a cheat day may still work for some people. Hmm. If you feel as though you do have a healthy relationship with food... And actually having a cheat day keeps you seeing and you feel emotionally fine, then, you know, I think fair enough. At the end of the day, you have to do what works for you. And I think people naturally sort of have like the weekend as they're sort of, I don't like the word cheat, but you yeah. sort of have the weekend where you eat food that you, you maybe wouldn't normally eat or you drink alcohol, for example. Yeah. But I sort of have it where if I fancy chocolate, if that's on a Wednesday night, then I'll have chocolate on Wednesday yeah. night. And then I just wouldn't have any at the weekend if I didn't fancy it. I was going to say, for me, a cheat day wouldn't work because I would eat the whole world and that would be terrible. Um, I would have no self-control. But, you know, like a nice meal where I'm not thinking about the calories and it, it might not be the healthiest once a week, I think is okay. And it's like a healthier relationship than like you say calling it like a cheat day uh absolutely like i definitely eat food at the weekend but like i i I don't know like definitely growing up like sweets and pizza whatever was very much a weekend thing yeah but now you know being an adult being self-sufficient and independent i'm like oh i can have pizza any night so it's sort of all that stuff sort of loses it's i feel like for me it's sort of lost its appeal yeah i you know, you can have anything at any time. Maybe not in lockdown. I'll give it that. But <laughs> generally, you know, if you fancy something, if you're like, you know what, I want to make fajitas tonight, or I want to do this, or I want ice cream, you can go and get it at any time. Yeah. Food is, re- I mean, um, apart from toilet roll on some occasions, but everything is generally very readily available. Apart from flour. Th- I didn't know that you eat toilet rolls. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just really thinking about supermarkets and lockdowns. Um, yeah, I should have really said flour um, and eggs. Those are the things I've struggled to get. I feel like everybody is baking at the moment. Yes. And it's great. But oh my goodness, the, the amount of shops that I had to go to to find plain flour over the course of a three week period. And now that I have it, I'm like, I can't remember what I was going to make now. <laughs> Certainly not making bread. It's very precious. Use it wisely. so when it comes to sort of feeling fuller for longer what foods would you recommend we eat to stay fuller for longer and to feel more satisfied that are high in protein such as meat fish eggs beans pulses these can help us feel more satisfied compared to carbohydrates or fat um the exception with carbohydrates being that if they are high in fibre, so wholemeal pasta, whole wheat bread, things like fruit and vegetables, they can all help us feel fuller for longer because of their fibre content. So, And this is because they pass slowly through the digestive system. So they do make us feel fuller for longer. Um, and this, this can... The rationale behind this is that if you eat whole wheat fibre at a main meal, you shouldn't really need to snack until your next main meal. Hmm. But, you know, if you feel hungry, I'd have a snack. So. Yeah. And then how about things like bloating and other side effects of food? How can we avoid or sort of counteract those? So bloating is a very natural side effect of eating. And most of us will experience bloating at some point. 
even if it's just a little bloat. But for some people, bloating can cause a lot of discomfort and it can be really painful in some circumstances. Mm. For example, if you have irritable bile syndrome, which is IBS, having bloating can be, yeah, sometimes really, really uncomfortable. So things that you can do to avoid bloating is trying to eat slower. So this just isn't your speed of eating, but also the size of mouthfuls that you bite off and chew and making sure that you chew your food through properly. Um, And also avoiding things like carbonated drinks and fizzy drinks. So personally for me, fizzy drinks, carbonated drinks really trigger me and I bloat really badly. And I don't have IBS, I don't have any like kind of health condition. Mm. But fizzy drinks and me do not bode well. And it happened when I was probably about 16 and it's still the keyest now. Um, so personally for me, I try and limit them. Other people say that other things bloat them. You know, people will commonly say things like bread. Um, I'm trying to think, and maybe alcohol, maybe wine. But there are also some vegetables, so such as broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts. These are often known as the gas-producing vegetables, <laughs> um, especially Brussels sprouts. <laughs> um, but what you can do is try like some gentle movement. So perhaps after you've eaten a meal, just going for like a very slow, gentle walk, hmm. you know, 10 minutes. You can even just potter around your garden. Um, and also avoiding wearing high-waisted trousers and high-waisted leggings, like anything that's going to like push in towards your stomach and gut yeah you don't really want that you want if you're going to blow you want to let it blow really so, <laughs> so you, you know you want big baggy t-shirts <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely so yeah you you're going to feel less discomfort if you're not wearing high-waisted trousers i always wear high-waisted jeans and i so do i well, <laughs> up with the pain <laughs> What foods negatively impact us and are there any that noticeably improve things such as our mood, etc? As we're all individuals, food can impact us very differently person to person. So for example, I just mentioned earlier that fizzy drinks cause me to blow, but they might not cause other people to blow. Yeah. So for exact for boosting your mood, um, Foods such as fatty fish like salmon that are rich in omega-3 can help with brain development and signaling. And some research has shown that omega-3 levels can show lower levels of depression. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, and then dark chocolate, it has um, flavonoids and these increase your blood flow to the brain and boost brain health. And they may support mood regulation. There's a lot of ifs and buts and maybes in the last few bits that I just said. So I could um, turn around to my other half and you say, why are you eating chocolate? And I say, it's to improve my flavonoids. <laughs> and that's totally fine. <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, chocolate's often, you know, chocolate when you eat it does sort of trigger um, sort of chemicals in the brain known as the happy chemicals. Hmm. The same sort of chemicals that are like lit up, if you like, if you give someone a hug, if you eat chocolate, if you have sex, like they, they all like they light up because of those things. Um, and on that topic, actually, bananas contain vitamin B6, and they actually help these feel-good chemicals, which are known as neurotransmitters, dopamine and serotonin, also known as the happy chemicals. So there are certainly things that you can eat. I don't think if you ate bananas all day, like you would notice a big difference. It's kind of the same with the carrots. Yeah. And night vision. These things aren't silver bullet solutions, but re- some research has shown that they may help. This has been honestly fascinating finding out all of this about nutrition. Firstly, sort of finding out that you could literally just get a £30 group on and call yourself a nutritionist. A is very worrying, but interesting at the same time. And B, finding out about all the different food types and how we can sort of look after our bodies. And for me, I'm going to sort of do away with any sort of like 
treat foods just you know try and enjoy things on a sort of healthy balanced way it's it's been really interesting talking about this topic with you i'm really delighted to have been a guest on the prosecco sessions podcast it's been fabulous well thank you very much and i will link to everything that we've discussed in the show notes so that other people can have a have a little browse through what we've been discussing and i hope everyone has found it as interesting as i have that's great kat thank you so much thank you for being on the prosecco sessions you have been listening to the prosecco sessions with me your host kat raymond if you love it sub it and if you enjoyed the podcast make sure to rate it five stars and share so others can find it Thank you so much for listening and tune in for the next episode.